Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. Hello, Mike. Howdy, Chet. Uh, oh, seriously? What a way to start the show off with a stupid oh. alarm. How are you? Telling you that it's time for the Dark Art Society podcast recording. <laughs> nah, it was about invoicing somebody that I, I already invoiced. Well, yeah, I've done that a few times myself. So what's new? Well, I've been working on this ward back here. Actually, I've been finishing wards for clients and, and, and collectors and stuff and sending those off. But And actually, I sent you two that you purchased from me that are in the Finally. mail. Finally. Away, yes. Uh, the protection from negative people and the the uh, purifying ward. But anyway, I was over here yesterday working on, and you've seen it on my uh, my Land of Enchantment Tours Patreon. Mm-hmm. Patreon.com forward slash Land of Enchantment Tours. I've been working on this piece that's like a wooden box that on the front of it has an antique door lock, door, door knob lock oh, mechanism. Cool that I've taken the plate off of and you can see the guts of it. Oh, that was a door lock. Beeswax, mm-hmm. yeah. Filled it full of uh, beeswax and caustics. And then, so I, that's on the front and then you open that up and it's a box and you know, you open it up. And of course you've seen these videos because you're one of my patrons, but you open it up and on the inside, I've been working on the inside portion of it because it's going to hang on a wall. So you're like, it's a ward, it's also a piece of art. And then you open it up and you can see all this stuff on the inside. So I've been doing all, yesterday I spent a bunch of time doing a bunch of encaustics on the inside of it with beeswax and crystals and minerals and teeth and bones. Do you ever... Do you ever color the beeswax? I I have colored beeswax, um, but I that seems like it could be cool. I did. I painted actually the wood underneath this beeswax to really bring out this the color of the beeswax because I wanted that real kind of beeswax yellow yellow. Yeah, beeswax has a great color, but I was just thinking it might be cool to to tint the the beeswax with some kind of natural coloring. Which if you look behind me, you see that. That's uh, a crock. That's a crock pot. That's uh, my beeswax crock pot. So once I get another block, I'll try that and I'll put the beeswax in there. And then I have, I can get Indian paintbrush from up here and put the Indian paintbrush in there. And that would make it go red. That's so I could have like you red know, beeswax. Yeah, another thing that would be cool would be flocking. You ever use flocking? You like spraying it? No, it's like, you know, flocking is like, it's like those little tiny hairs short yeah. hairs that yeah. fuzzy animal toys are made of uh, used in making. But if you mix it in, we mix in effects and, you know, casting and stuff, you mix in flocking into mm-hmm. translucent resins and it gives like little teeny tiny, it looks kind of like skin, like blotchy skin. If you add like That's a little cool. bit of red, a little bit of brown, and a little bit of coloring. <clears throat> yeah, it's really cool. It's really that is cool. Gives you its automatic kind of blotchy effect. Yeah, I would. I definitely would. Try. I have a ton of probably, flocking. I should send it to you. I would probably try with like natural stuff that I could find out here. Oh, you know right. what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like 
Because I try to stick with like as natural stuff and really repurpose materials almost entirely. I'm sure you, know, you like can I find very natural. rarely buy anything for it. Yeah, you, you know. Probably but find I've, natural but speaking of stuff. that, I took a, a bunch of beeswax recently. I know this is off the subject, but I took a bunch of beeswax recently, melted it down, and then I took a quartz crystal that I sourced from here that's hand pulverized, and then I took this powdered quartz crystal, powderized quartz crystal, and sprinkled it in the liquid beeswax, and then let it dry so it's filled with it. So when the sun hits it, it like does the this really sparkly, trippy, you That's know, cool. thing. yeah. And actually, it was fun when I was working on this particular piece. And then I'll stop with it. But I was uh, doing beeswax over these long stems from sage that I have inside of it, and the smell of it was so amazing. The joy even came down in my office and was like, "What are you doing in here? The whole house smells amazing." Because <laughs> I like, you know, be hot melted oh, beeswax. Yeah, over sage stem and it was just like bringing all the sage smells out it's just amazing like it's really nice to work with natural stuff that's from right around here yeah you know? that is cool that is cool so anyway that's what that's you know award making has been the primary thing and then the discord stuff for uh for patrons of yeah, the dark that, was cool. that was cool patreon.com forward slash uh dark art society patrons now three and up have discord access yeah speak about it it's pretty cool it's one of those things that you don't it doesn't make sense until you start using it. It seems like, why would you need that? But then you start using it and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. It's, it's really cool. It's kind of like an old school message board, but ch a chat, you know, and they, and apparently they have voice chat and stuff as well, which is pretty yeah. cool. Um, uh, we were thinking about doing a, a, uh, a discord, Q and a session, like a right. live one, right? We were thinking maybe yeah, doing a so live one. Be, yeah. You would be on discord since you have good internet and, and you and I would be recording and then you could just take questions on the thread, you know, mm -hmm. for us to answer live while we're doing recording the episode. Yeah. So then the only way that people could, you know, would really be able to have an opportunity to ask those questions is if they were $3 members and they had that discord access. Right. So they, they would know, okay, you know, it's scheduled at this time. We need to be there. Should we do know? one of those this week since we have to do three this week? I think we, we have to do three do episodes this week because Brian Kilgore, our sound engineer, is uh, going out of town. So we have to kind of get. We should. But by the time that this yeah. podcast comes out, it'll be too late for oh, it to be quote right. this week. So let's just say that the Friday of this episode, this episode comes out on Wednesday for for $1 backers. It now comes out on Tuesday, actually, which is cool. So if you're a $1 patron or up, you get the pre-release of the podcast on Tuesdays. So following the Tuesday, Wednesday of this release, that Friday on Discord, we'll do it. And I'll post on Patreon and let members know, hey, this is what's up. We're so doing it Friday, on Okay, so Friday, Friday we will be recording our third one for the week for Brian. And then that, that will be the, the uh, Discord Q&A live, right? Well, that's going to be confusing to people listening to this. Yeah, totally <laughs> that's why I was saying that's why I was trying to say that if it's just if we just do that one following this the Friday following when people hear this episode right. episode 69 yeah. which won't be the one we're recording this week you're, you're oh that's right years. we're a week yeah. ahead already yeah so so like I said the, the Friday following the this episode y'all are listening to this Friday this coming Friday we will do the discord thing and we will post it on Patreon and we will post the date so that people know okay. that's the day we're doing the live discord Right. Yeah, I know it's confusing. It's just you'll keep track ahead. of that. You'll keep track of that. Okay. <laughs> cool.
Cool. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. And then we got to figure out doing a live um, streaming episode too. Yeah, to YouTube. And maybe start doing that. Maybe I don't know. I'm into it because I mean the truth is is that you know why not? <laughs> well, it's just figuring we out. Don't edit them anyway. I mean, I guess the only thing is is that there'd be no mastering. It would just be us recording straight, which won't sound as good as once Brian's done his thing to it. Right. So you know there well, may be some little see what in- people, intricacies involved in it. We can see what people think, what they think. Yes. Yes, we can. Uh, well, anyway, Discord's anyway. pretty awesome. Chet's right. Yeah. And the cool thing is there are channels there, too. So it's like you could you know, be talking in the general channel with people, la-di-da's what I've been up to today. And then you can go off to the left-hand side and pick you know, upcoming art shows or project development or the retreat, the Dark Art Society retreat, or share your art and post in those specific threads. And then those are there. And you can even then go back to the general area and say, hey, check out my update I just did on and then hashtag that channel and bam, they click on it, they go to that channel. So as you learn more about it, you realize it's really kind of a fluid social media thing that is only for members of the Dark Art Society because they are added and removed by a bot that's related to Patreon. So effectively, it is only people that are actual members that are in there. So there's kind of this camaraderie, I think, amongst that and really this opportunity to network and interact both personally as well as in a group fashion. So it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. So that's it. Our Patreon, which is Dark Art Society, patreon.com slash Dark Art Society. Yep. So you can get in on that. It's really fun. This thing is still developing and moving forward. So. Well, and let's read those patrons' names here since uh, we're yes. doing this at the beginning now. We want to thank these patrons for joining us. The last time we mentioned John Hyde at the end, and now we're going to start with Justin Kephart, Richard Willey, AJ Prince, and Dan Harding. Welcome to the Dark Art Society. Thank you for your Welcome. support. I have, a, I have some Dan Harding original paintings. I bought Dan a long Harding is time amazing. Ago. I love his work. Yeah. I got, I got some good ones, too. We should have him on here sometime. Yeah, yeah. We, we get, he's on the list for sure. Yeah, I thought he was. Yeah. Um, okay, you want right. to want to do the synesthesia word of the week? Synesthesia word of the week. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I've got. Okay, I got three here. Do you want to hear what comment tastes like? What honesty tastes like? Or what obligation takes tastes like? Honesty for sure. Okay. Honesty, and this is a strong one. I only do the strong ones on here because some of them are not strong. Some of them are kind of weak flavors. Um, honesty tastes like root beer. Ooh. Wow. Honesty tastes good. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's interesting, huh? What kind of, is it just regular old root beers or something special? Like, is no, there is a float? No. It's not a certain brand. It's root not out beer. of a bottle. Is it in a glass? Was the glass chilled? <laughs> no. Nope. Nope. None of that. <laughs> well, you always have all these specifics with most Sometimes of them, so I, I do. <laughs> all right. I stand corrected sometimes. Sometimes. So ne- the next ones I get, next two I have are comment and ob- obligation. But they, right. I think now that uh, we've started doing this, I get like, you know, one every two days. If I sat for a day, I could probably think of a hundred, you know, and that I've never thought of just thinking about words. Cause that's all it takes. I just have to think of a word and then I have to go, okay, there is either a flavor or there's not. Right. You know, so 
This is like the the dumbest feature. Well, bring me bring, of the podcast. Bring me a glass of truth, all right? <laughs> honesty. I like the taste. Oh, bring me a, gl- a glass of honesty. <laughs> like he's like, truth doesn't taste like root beer, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truth is a, a truth tastes like something else. What does truth taste like? That's a strong one. Truth. It's strong, but I can't. I can't think of it. Truth, Come on, truth. It's like. I think, I think, I think, I think. I think it might be Fruit Loops. Oh, really? I think so. Truth. Or Captain Crunch and Crunchberries. Huh? Uh, cereal then, for sure. Yeah, yeah, truth. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's too stupid. I love it. <laughs> so stupid. Well, moving right along to the topic <laughs> of the week. <laughs> Well, okay, here's I wanted to say this one thing before we start. We're, today we're going to st- talk about the importance of using a reference in creating artwork because it comes up often um the idea of of using reference versus not using reference and we'll get into that. But you know, I had a thought. This is totally off subject, but um I wanted to talk about it quickly because I think it's a really good idea. <clears throat> Okay, so when you're a painter or a fine artist or an illustrator or whatever, and you're posting stuff on social media and you get a name for yourself, you get people who want to tattoo your work on them, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that's cool. I've always been totally cool with that. Um, and people, oftentimes people ask me, most of the time they don't, but pretty often someone asks me, Can I, do you mind if I get a tattoo? And I always say, sure, um, just send me a picture when you're done just so I can have a record of it. Cause it's cool. It's amazing. It's, you know, right. it's cool. Cause it's, you know, free advertising for life on a body, which is, mm-hmm. you know, if it's, especially if it's visible, but um, I used to think I, st- I started thinking, you know, it's sort of unfair for the artist because the tattoo artist is making money tattooing somebody else's painting. And then, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like when tattoo artists, tattoo artists, like really are down on each other copying their own work. Right. You know, if you, if you top copy someone's tattoo work, you do a tattoo of it, they get pissed. People get really pissed about it and rightly so. And it kind of got me thinking, well, it's sort of what happens with artists. They get their Mm -hmm. stuff copied. So how is it different? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which, and and again, you know, I'm not going to talk shit about the tattoo community community. You know, I love the tattoo community. I've always loved the tattoo community community the great people and really uh a big part of why the dark art scene is as big as it is 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 because of the tattoo world i've professed, absolutely i've professed my love for the tattoo world many times well no you make a good point <clears throat> but it but it's it is something that that i've thought about and i thought it, um, it fits it, in the category of what one might call at least in the literary world plagiarism you know what I mean? Right. You know, and, and even if you look in the art world, you know, people that paint other people's paintings, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like literally that's what they do right, is they right, recreate right. other, pa- there's, you know, that that's not the same thing as original creation. And right. so th- there is a fine line in there, I think. And, and it has, it's not one that's, I think been broached too much really publicly. And so it is something we're thinking about. Yeah. So you know? I, I, I mean, I've been thinking about it for a while and I kind of didn't want to bring it up because I don't want tattoo artists to think I'm talking shit because I'm really not. Sure. It's just, I'm, I started thinking about it and I thought, well, what would be, what would be fair if someone was <clears throat> making money from painting one of my, or tattooing one of my paintings? 
And then I was thinking, you know, it would be cool if, if on the honor system, a tattoo artist who was tattooing one of my pieces would charge the customer an extra like 10 bucks or something like a surge. <laughs> Mike forgot to mute his mic. <laughs> like a surcharge, just like on the honor system, you know, and, and send it to me every time someone, I mean, if someone tattoo sent me 10 or 20 bucks every time they tattooed my work, I'd be, that would be a nice little income stream. That would help. You know, that. Um, it, it's just, a, you know, it's like a, it, but, effectively like a royalty kind of, yeah yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the only thing that would make it work would be just you know anything where you try to enforce that is just not going to work it's not no a good, no not it would a have good to be idea. adopted it would have to be adopted yeah, it'd have to be kind of it's like, like tipping everybody knows right, you tip right. if you don't tip that's kind of stupid unless if you got bad service and then it's you know still kind of questionable so. but i thought about it some more and i thought okay well what would be uh, easier and probably better would be if if uh, if someone gets a tattoo of my work, not put it on the the artist, but put it on the person getting the tattoo, have them as a way of making a payment to me. A royalty is just subscribe to my Patreon for a dollar. Oh, month. there you go. It's twelve dollars a year. You know, it's like nothing, pretty much. I thought that would be, you know. That would be a pretty cool uh, way to repay. Like I said, I'm cool either way. If people just tattoo my work, it's it's cool with me. But, you know, it would be nice to get a little something from it. I think that's kind of a fair little thing to ask. So if someone asks me, I might start kind of saying, sure. And, you know, if you'd like, it'd be cool in exchange to support my Patreon for a dollar a month, you know, sure. for sure. a year or something. So that's like $12. $12. I think that's totally reasonable. I see nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and everybody wins, you know. Well, obviously, if they want your artwork on their body, then they're clearly invested in your artwork. So, yeah, how so. can you lose by being a one dollar patron? I certainly haven't lost by being a one dollar patron. And <laughs> while I don't have your artwork on my body, I would. You know, that's anyway. It's Patreon. dot com forward slash Chet Czar. Yes. And that so, is Zar as in Z-A-R. Yes. Not as in the Russian Zar, but as in Z-A-R. <laughs> Zar. So anyway, that was... Uh, uh, anybody's thoughts, anybody care to give their thoughts on that? I would appreciate hearing that in the uh, comments and stuff. So, all right. That was my idea. So th we get back to to reference or not to reference. That is the question. Yes. Now, I... I one common um i get a lot of young artists coming to me and asking advice and one thing i hear a lot or one thing i see a lot is people not using reference and i think there's kind of this prejudice against uh, reference using reference because especially people that are coming to me they're fans of my work because i you know i'm not using most of the time i don't use reference but not always sometimes i do use reference um but the thing is, you can't know how to paint or draw something correctly if you haven't used reference at some point. Like yep. I, 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 I've used reference. I mean, I used reference heavily for you know twenty years, probably with just about everything I did uh, in the film industry, doing makeup effects. 
there is reference everywhere. When you do a project, one of the first things you do is you go and find a bunch of reference pictures because everything, you know, has to look real, has to look natural. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so you need it. It's part of the process. So there's, you know, there's these cork boards usually at people's desks where they're working and with a bunch of printed reference material of, you know, anything like you'll have old an old person's face because it has wrinkles that will work well in a, in a zombie or, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, so I've been using reference for so long at this point. I don't, you know, I don't need it until I need it, you know, and, and I yeah. use it when I need it. And, um, but you earned that to yeah, whatever degree. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, exactly. That's kind of my point is that nobody can just draw. I mean, 0.0001% of the population are child prodigies that can just draw somehow magically, or they're, you know, they you see those autistic guys that can't speak, but they can sculpt these, like that guy who sculpts the horses, you know, that's, they fly over New York. And then the person does yeah. this drawing of New York. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. Like all the way down to that's, the window. But that's, you know, that's an anomaly. That's, that's not normal. So for the other 99.999% of artists, you have to, um, le- you know, learn how to learn how things look by using reference. And, you know, if you get to a point where you don't need reference, that's that's cool. But I don't think reference should be seen as a kind of crutch because it's not. It's it's more common to use reference in, in art history than, than not using reference. I mean, that was, oh, absolutely. you know, everything was done with models and always. It's a new advent and really it came, I think, more out of the abstract genre than anything. You know what I mean? Because then there was a reason to not, well, well, I don't really need reference if I'm just doing, you know, but the thing, like you said, it's, it's always been part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, even, even you look at cave drawings and stuff and petroglyphs and stuff, it's not any different. They were looking at their hand to make it look like that or blowing paint around right. their hand to make it look like that. You know, it's, it's all about reference. And even when you take, like, I remember the first class I took in high school that was, that was like my own elective. I think it was like the 10th grade and it was creative art. Like, okay. As if any art isn't creative, yeah. I guess. <laughs> and, but I was so excited and I remember the teacher, I loved him and it was actually, it was a really cool class and I still have art from that class, but he got up in front of us and he was like, okay, if you're going to try to draw a person's face, you have to know how a person's face is laid out. You have to understand the proportions of a human face. So you either look at a human face to do it or you say, okay, well, here's the face. And the face, if you cut it in half this way and you bisect it this way and you measure out then a third and a half between those, you get mouth and eyes. Right. You either do that specking out or you don't get the likeness. Now, if you want to paint a monster, well, you may not need reference, but you still need to know what the underlying bone structures look like if you want people to believe that it's yeah. resembling anything like an ogre, for instance, yeah. even though that's fantastical. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The, the thing is, is, is all that fantasy stuff is based on um, real-life anatomy and materials. You know, even yep. a guy like uh, Paul, Paul mm-hmm. Gerard, who we just yeah, had on, on the podcast, his stuff's totally weird and crazy, but still, it's still, um, you know, using based on human or animal anatomy and the, the shapes and the wrinkles of things, even though he's got like weird skin folds, it's all based on reality. It's stuff that could, yep. you know, 
could exist in a, in reality in a way. And so, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's important. I mean, I, I have a, a file, um, we used to call it in effects. We call it a morgue, which is a, mm-hmm. which is a file of, back before the internet, it would be a file folder in your, and anytime you saw something in a magazine, you'd cut it out and put it in, in the morgue file. And, you know, you just have hundreds and hundreds of photos you've collected over the years. Everybody had, has that in effect, or at least when I was working on it, everybody had their own collection, either books or, you know, pages cut out for magazines for the reference, you know? And, and so it's, it's, uh, I have a little folder on my desk top on my computer. If I ever see not only, um, figures or, um, objects or skies that look cool. And if mm-hmm. I see them, someone mm-hmm. posts them, I put it in the file automatically. I just, and I have tons and tons of it. And, but it, you know, and it goes for anything, even another painting that you see that you really like, you know, mm-hmm. another artist that you're like, wow, I really like how they got this effect. It doesn't mean you're you know, going to rip them off, but you, but everybody learns from each other. So, you know, referring to other artists is, is also cool. You know, it's mm-hmm. not, not a bad thing. No, and, no. And even people first learning to paint, I've suggested this to many people, you know, you copy, do, you know, people have done master's copies. It's, that's a tradition as well, where you go to oh, a yeah. museum and copy an old master painting. But you well, can you do, do when I was in college, that was one of the assignments in my paint, my first painting course. That was one of the things they had us do. They said, pick a famous painting and then pick a comic book strip. And you had to paint the painting like, you know, it was, Mm -hmm. but then you had to paint the comic book strip in the corner. So you had the the real painting with your comic book strip pinned onto it. And then you had to paint the painting with the comic book strip thing in it too. So you had to capture both genres simultaneously. And it was hard. Yeah, I still have mine. It was hard, but it was fun too, because it forces you to do that. It forces you to realize, oh, 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 okay. Perspective has something to do with Mm -hmm. how this all works here, (laughs) you know? Yeah, and paint, doing copies of master paintings, or even not masters, but you know, just paintings of established artists, is really good for learning because, you know, norm. If you don't have a, if a lot of eye training with training your eye as far as seeing colors as they are, you look at a painting and you'll say, "Oh, I see. They used red there, and then they used blue there, and yellow here." Uh, but when you go to mix those colors and paint it, you realize they're not, it's not red, it's not blue, and it's not yellow. It's like a super grayed out, barely at all, has barely any red in it. But because of the the relative colors around it, it makes it look more red. And, and it, you'd right, be surprised right. if you do a copy of a painting of how different the colors are that than you thought they would be. You know, that even, you know, that even happens to me when I make the ads for the Dark Art Society podcast, because I'll take one of your paintings, for instance, and I want to recreate the color I'm seeing for the text, for right. the, the header and the footer. And so I grab up my eyedropper and I go over there and I'm like, oh, that looks really red. And I click on it. And I'm like, that's not even close to <laughs> yeah, that. And right. I'm like, son of a bitch. You know, and then what I end up having to do is, is choose a relative color and then dial it up, you know, manually to get it. Oh, now that's starting to look like what the color right. seems to be. And so that right there is a good example even of that occurring, yeah. you know, in my, under my observation on a regular basis where I'm like, you, I, that's not the color I thought it was. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah, that yeah. pixel turns out to be gray, not red. You know? Yeah. And that's part of training your eye. And as you get better at it, you, you, you can realize how subtle 
colors actually are, you know? So I, I, I just, I reference is very important. I think more people should use it. Uh, I think especially newer artists, I think people just think that they should know how to do it already. Like they, they think, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's just does not work that way. No. It doesn't work that way. That, yeah. The reason that there's the word masters in front of those people's names is because <laughs> they went through all of the effort and arduous struggle and work and process that it takes to master those particular fields, you know, and that's hard and it takes a lot of work and effort. I mean, you know, you're not going to be a master overnight by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's about training your eye. That's a really big part of it is training your eye. And, and you can't train your eye unless you are using reference. You know, you can't. You, you, the way that you think about things, like I said, unless you're one of these super genius child prodigies, which pretty much nobody is, you can't just do it out of your head without using reference at some point. You know, you have to, you have to learn how things actually look and you have to train your eye to see things, how they actually look because the average person, when they see something, they think they know what it looks like, but then when they go to draw it, they can't do it because they don't actually know what it looks like. You know, yep. it doesn't look right and they can't figure out why. And it's because, well, it doesn't really look like that. You just think it looks like that. It's it's because the illusion that you have to create on a flat surface of a three-dimensional depth yeah, of field. Yeah, and we're talking I about mean, that's realism really tr- type you know, stuff. Yeah, here. yeah, totally. Absolutely. And that's kind of why I that's why I delineated between abstract earlier. And it's like, you know, that's one of the things, again, you learn pretty quick if you're actually going to school or you're training yourself is that, again, you look at the world and, of course, unless if you're like, you know – my wife, for instance, who sees in two dimensions, most people, you know, see in three dimensions. Mm -hmm. And so you're not thinking most of the time about the way in which that is actually occurring in your eyeball to, to be perceived in a three dimensional space. And then how to translate that illusion onto a two dimensional space, because that's really what it is, is creating an illusion of three dimensional space and perspective and depth of field on something that is two dimensional. And to do that requires, like you said, mimicry ultimately. Yeah, right? yeah. That's the way to learn to do it. You know, I mean, I remember even in the fourth grade sitting down with my teacher, Mr. Kite, and he was like all about art for some reason. And he taught us that, you know, the cl- classic draw the horizon line, create the vanishing point and then draw the city, you know, and you'd create all your little front boxes with the drag lines all the way out, you know, and then you'd carve out spaces between the buildings and create this street with these rows of buildings and they're all going to that vanishing point, you know? And I remember that aha of being like, holy shit, that's how you make it look like it's three-dimensional on a two-dimensional space, Mm -hmm. you know? And it was like this mental breakthrough for me. And the thing is, is that, again, that's just the beginning because then as you start to realize organic shapes, well, those aren't mathematical. How do those look in three dimensions in a two-dimensional space? You know, again, it's all illusion. Mm -hmm. And the only way to create illusion is to study illusion so you can capture it yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to be – something's going to look wrong. I mean I see stuff all the time on the internet and I'm like – it's wrong right there. I yeah. can see. Now, I'm not saying I could do a better job. I'm just simply saying that I can see where it's wrong. You yeah, know what I mean? That's the that's, thing is, is, is you can tell when something's wrong, but you can't always tell how to make it right. Yeah. You know, when you're looking at, at artwork, you can, it is, if it's wrong, it stands out. It just doesn't mm-hmm. feel, it's like a feeling thing. It just doesn't feel right. But, you know, I, I, I always tell people as well, um, look to nature for everything. Look to nature. 
because nature is always right. The, the lines are right. The, uh, everything's right about it. <laughs> it's reality. It's what, you know, there's nothing in nature that doesn't follow, uh, proper forms and proper line work and, and proper anatomy. It's all there. And you can find, you could find it in a tree or in a plant, you know, the way that things look right. It's like a weird thing. Cause you can't often can't put your finger on it. What makes something look right. But, um, you know, just the way, even the way things are staggered, you know, uh, on a tree branch, you know, the spacing between the branches isn't always equal. It's like, it, there's, it's weird. It's like, there's a fractal. There's, That's what I was about yeah, to say. Yeah, everything's like, fractal in nature. Everything is fractal. So it, when you start looking at the fractal uh, nature of reality, you can see that everything is fractal, you know, from the the body to the limb to the the hand with the fingers. It's like it's 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 a fractal. It's like it's like you got a single trunk, you got two arms, you got ten fingers, you know, it's like this fractal thing happening. And and you know, obviously in plants and in flowers and in trees and everything. Everything's fractal. Everything. Yep. I mean, it's clear to me that this is a fractal world. Like, mm -hmm. like Martin Ball says, it's a God is a reality is God as God is a fractal energy being and reality is God. God is all of reality. Everything is fractal. Everything has a fractal base, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just think that's pretty cool. But, but it's, it, I guess my point being is that, you know, fractals are not exact repetitions. They are a rep they're an iteration of the same thing, but changed slightly. Yeah, you're not going to fake what a stone wall looks like or a, a rock face on a cliff. You're going to need to recruit because, like you said, even a rock face on a cliff is fractal. You know right. what I mean? And so it's going to it's going to follow a certain order and you're going to have to really look at it to capture what that feels like and mimic what it looks like, because otherwise it'll look wrong. It won't look right. like a rock face. <laughs> it'll look like someone trying to make a rock face. You know? <laughs> right. And what you want is the person to look at it and actually see a rock face and not be attached to this idea of, oh, well, that's a interesting rendition of a rock yeah, face. Yeah. You, <laughs> you know? yeah, you definitely don't want people looking at your art and saying, Oh, that's a cool idea, but it's off somehow. You know, you the the whole it is really an illusion game, the the art representational art thing because you want that there to be no that shouldn't even be a consideration in, in but a even painting. honestly to take it away from even just like representational on a realism level. You know, you look at R. Crumb for instance, and mm -hmm. he talks, and I know I've mentioned this before, but he talks extensively about how he always would go out in the world and draw in the world because that was the only way he was like, there's no way I could make this shit up. You know, right. I can't, I need to go out and see it. Now what he's drawing are caricatures still. Right. And so, but it, it, even though they're caricatures and clearly like they don't look normal, like how normal people look, yeah, but right? they look right, but <laughs> they look right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the point is, is that even someone like him who's doing these cartoons mm -hmm. still, he's using daily reference to achieve that because you, you need to. You right, know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's even like the, the caricature thing. These people that are so great at um, caricaturing people. 
even like who's the the guy on there? Is it Dominic Phil Filbert? Is that that guy's name? On Facebook, he does these amazing uh, caricatures, but it, it's like it, they're so distorted and crazy, but you know, they're still based on anatomy and reality, even though they're super distorted, the still the fundamental basis of it is, is based in reality and real anatomy. Otherwise it wouldn't look right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like a super distorted version of realistic anatomy. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, even with every, there's nothing in art that you can't find reference for color, you know, it's the same with, if you, if you don't know how to say you're doing a creature, I mean, I'm relating this kind of to representational work, but also fantasy work, because I think that's part of the disconnect is people think because you're doing fantasy or dark art, whatever stuff that's not, you know, based in reality, you know, something that's not real that you're making up, you know, it still has to follow the rules of reality in order for it to look right. So, yeah. You know, even for paint for, uh, okay, I'll relate it to makeup effects. Like if we're doing a creature, um, say the, uh, the, uh, the predator creature. Now I know that that paint job on that creature was, I'm not sure exactly what it was based on, but it was based on some kind of like a frog or something, something in nature. Cause we're always in effects looking at the patterns on reptiles, the color patterns on reptiles and on animals of all kinds to get ideas for paint jobs mm-hmm. and patterns, you know, like you, blotchy patterns. Like if you look at, you know, you know, it's, you look at insects, you know, color combinations of insects, of flowers, they like always, your, uh, your, your tool, the tell the tool story about that, the, the grease pan, the bottom of the pan. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that's that a is, good example. That is that is a good example. I did a, a logo for Tool way back when when I was doing 3D stuff for them. I was doing like I did their logo in in, in a 3D program, and I was really into texture maps at the time. Where where you that's basically where you have these 3D objects, uh, fake 3D objects in the computer, and then you wrap you take a photo of cool textures and you wrap it around that in the computer and it automatically looks really cool because it looks you know like the picture you took and uh i wanted the uh, kind of a grimy rusty look on this tool logo so my mother-in-law had this old frying pan and the bottom of it was just like totally grungy and just been burnt for 30 years probably she'd been using it and i I scanned it and then used that and it looked really great it looks like this old rusty metal and it was perfect i didn't have to do anything to it i didn't have to like paint on it and it was because it was a pattern from nature. And so it was right. <laughs> you know, yep. it's just like with color schemes of uh, ref, ref, referencing color schemes, even everything you reference in nature is right. You look at flowers. There's not like colors that don't go together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. it clashes. It always works. Everything right. in nature always works. Even the. Even when you look at something that's decomposing, exactly. Dead I was just stuff, gonna say it, it looks totally. It looks right. All the colors oh, that yeah, go together yeah, it's look amazing. like they're supposed to it's be so together. Weird. It's so weird. Yeah. yeah, it's so weird. I was I was just gonna say that because you look at human cadaver, which we reference, which we had to use a lot in the film industry. It's these amazing c- 
colors, these yellows yep. and blues and kind of yep. greens. And, and still it somehow it's not clashing. It looks right. It just looks right. Yep. So, you know, when all else fails, always look to nature. That's the bottom line for any kind of successful artwork. I, I think, you know, um, well, and, and then once you know that, I mean, it's like it's not like that's the end of the game, because once you've gotten to the point where you've studied that stuff and you've tried it and you've worked with it and right. you've experienced it, you'll have that tool on your belt like mm -hmm. you do. And then you can go forward and sometimes you find you need it and sometimes you find that you right. don't. And maybe over time you find you need it less and less. But it's a progress, you know, and you have to move towards that. It's not a matter of just jumping anywhere, you know, but it also doesn't mean that you're going to be stuck referencing for the rest of your life either. Yeah. Or you might be. It, it depends on how you like to make art, what sure. works best for you. The bottom line, the end result is what matters. Your final piece is what matters and how you get there isn't really important. I mean, I would even say, honestly, straight up, like, you know, to take referencing to another level, because, you know, I being a creative person, but not being a painter and not being necessarily even someone that does like uh, draw. I mean, I, right. you know, I draw, but I don't sell my drawings. That's yeah. not what I do. Representational. For me, when it comes in. Yeah. When it comes into writing, writing is very much the same thing. And so is filmmaking, because the reality is this. You really can't make a good book or a good film without actually experiencing life and studying life and watching people and really observing people. And Chad and I were just talking on the pre-roll about my 10 years uh, in the in the graveyard industry, in the casino industry. I mean, I did more the than 10 industry. years. <laughs> well, yeah, sorry. In, on graveyard in the casino industry. And I did it for more than 10, but that was the period of time that I was on graveyard. And the thing is, is that that for me as a writer was hugely informative because, you know, you can't make that kind of shit up. You just can't. And it's like if you want to be able to write good story and you want to be able to capture people the way that they actually are, you have to experience people in the environments that you want to write about actually how they are. Right. And if you do what you find, the same thing with filmmaking is, is that. And like you said, mimicry, that what you're able to do then is target enough audience members that it feels right to them, you mm -hmm. know, and that means sometimes researching things. It's like I know when Stephen King gets things wrong in books, I'm like, oh, man, you got that wrong. Like, that's not, you right. know, you're. Your gun goes wrong or whatever, because I happen to have a special interest in that. Or, you know, you lose your audience. Members sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you lose. Yeah, exactly. You lose your audience member when that happens. And so what we're striving to do, and, and this is one of the things I learned in screenwriting workshops, especially in colleges, is that you're striving to target as multi-diverse an audience as you can and make it believable for all of them, whether it's a child or it's a, an elderly person, whether they're black or white, whether, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. they're disabled or not, whether they drink or don't, you know, the whole, whether they're a, you know, a, a billionaire or they're poor. The point is, is that you want those people to really be touched and believe in what it is that you're showing them because you want them to feel it. Right. And so if you're going to write a good story and you want people to be touched by it, then they have to believe that, you know, right. and you can't make it up. I mean, you might think you're super creative, but the reality is, is all your creativity should be just the little finishing flourishes and touches well, on a base in reality in yeah, nature. Yeah. You know, how people are is how they should be represented. And then you can bend them in your creative story to your will, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have a kind of a funny story from uh, my friend Mitch Devane, who is uh, the, the the greatest sculptor in makeup effects. Really, really amazing guy I've talked about before. Um, he was doing 
he was sculpting a head based on a uh, uh, an actor, and he was measuring. Uh, I think he was doing he was doing a small version of a full sized human head. So he was measuring. He was taking measurements off of the head, which he always did. He Mitch is the perfect example of he's the be- best guy in the business. And he uses reference for everything. He uses reference every time he sculpts something. Tons of reference. He's a huge reference guy. Uh, and he was measuring like the eye size, the distance between the eyes, the chin to the top of the head, like all these measurements of the head, and then dividing it by whatever so that he could get the measurements on a small level so he could measure. And some less experienced guy came up to me and he said, when he was measuring, he said, isn't that cheating? And, and Mitch, a lot of people think that though. It's like, it's cheating. Like you just have to naturally be good at it. You, you can't measure it's You can't trace or whatever. And he said, um, what do you think your eyes doing when yeah, you're right. looking at something and copying it? You're, you're, you're measuring with your eyes and you're trying to match it. You know, it's the yep. same thing. So, yep. Well, and even in fine art, when you're when you're ma- when you're drawing models, you know, you are sitting far back from them, and there's no way you'd be able to capture and ensure that the leg and arm lengths are proper to the body and the head unless you hold your pencil up right. in front of you, yeah, close yeah. one of your yeah. eyes, yeah. and measure that shit out on your pencil. That's yeah. they're not doing that to look cute, like, ooh, look, I'm an artist, look how fancy <laughs> I look. Yeah. They're measuring the person or the thing or the whatever so that then they can actually capture it properly on the right size on the piece of paper that they're drawing it on, you know, and I think people forget that stuff too. It's like, sometimes people think, oh, that, you know, that's cute. They're doing the artsy thing. No, what they're doing is measuring stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just, I think, you know, reference kind of gets a bad rap for some reason, um, with some people, but it's, uh, I, I would prefer any students I have use reference. Definitely. It's to start with. And, you know, you may continue to use it. I think it's more rare that I don't use reference really. But, um, you know, my Jim, my stepdad, Jimmy, uh, he used reference always, you know, like he set up his reference, took his own photos and, um, he did the old illustrator thing where he would trace the figures and then transfer them onto the, to the canvas. That was just his working method. And it's, it's a very common one. And someone like Gabe, Leonard is a guy, he shoots all his reference too for his cowboy paintings and stuff. Always shoots reference. That's part of his process. He sets up yep. lights and he, he rents. It's pretty cool. I mean, I wish I had the time to do it like that. Um, although I don't know if it would work as well for me, but um, it could actually. But anyway, he, uh, he'll he set up a whole uh, scene with lighting and get the lighting the way he wants it. He, you know, I think... I. Th- I'd have to ask him, but I'm pretty sure he starts off with a thumbnail of an idea and then he hires models and then he poses them in the, in the basic pose of the sketch that he made and then he lights it and then he takes photos and then he prints them out on paper and he puts them all around his easel and then he does it all by, by hand. He doesn't trace anything out because his figures are distorted. You know, and you might look at his stuff and say, oh, he probably doesn't use reference. He's just going from out of his head, but he, he does use reference. He just uses it as as a map, as a, as a you know, as a, uh, uh, you know, some kind of 
guide so that he knows where to go with the artwork and and then his own kind of thing gets put into the artwork because he's not strictly tracing and transferring onto the canvas mm -hmm. you know and that's how he that's his style so but he's still well, and also using he renders major. yeah and also he he not only just the distorted figures but also you notice in his stuff the distorted angles that he adds to the the frame that he's using and also the distorted colors because right. it's never like a direct match on color it's never a direct direct match on composition or from even the camera angle you know it'll seem fish-eyed when it's not a fish-eye right. shot you know, and, and that's all, again, his artistic flourish. But it is a meticulous process that he goes through. And I think any artist that has the means to do that, absolutely. Yeah. What a rewarding way to be able to pursue your art. I mean, I wish I had the means yeah. to do that. Yeah. You know? I mean, I would love to, in in the in my dream fantasy world, be, be able to have the time to sculpt figures, you know, and and then take photos of them, like them, take photos and use that for ah. reference. Just because you have that, the one cool thing about reference is you have that extra, that extra bit of reality because the, the shadows are right because nature's always right, you know? And if the way light and shadow falls, it's right. So, um, and, and when you're making it up, it might not be right. It might be right. If you, you well, know, I'm better have, to get it right first, and then you can always change it and make it not right if that catches yeah, a better right. boot. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, you have more options when you use reference as well. You, you kind of do have more options because, like you said, you can make it, you can make it exact, exact duplicate, or you can play with it. But you, you at least you have a baseline of what looks right in the first sure. place. And even, and honestly, even when it comes like to get it back to for myself on the literary level, when I'm writing dialogue, I don't write an accent in first. I want to write the dialogue so it sounds right, mm -hmm. you know, for that first draft. And then as I go in, I dial in that draft, then I add my flourish. So mm -hmm. if when I was writing that, I was thinking in my head, oh, this person has a Southern accent or this person drops their G or they have a hard I or whatever. And that feels like that's characteristic enough that it's going to play into that, you know, that depiction. Then I will go ahead and, and include that in the final draft of the writing of the character. But the first time I write it, I'm not, I don't write it in with a twang. You know what I mean? Because I got to make sure that the dialogue is right first. Is right. the dialogue right? Does it feel right? Is this how people talk? Do they actually talk this way? Right. Because yeah. again, if you don't write dialogue right, if you're not used to listening to people, it's going to look hokey and stupid and no one's going to, no one talks like that. So again, it's all about doing it right first and then saying, oh, okay, now I want to twist it out a little bit and make it feel a little more personal, you right. know? Yeah. With writing, it's not any different than it is with painting. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, and uh, you know, I've got skulls around. I've got um, anatomy pictures I'll hanging up all over. Are. <laughs> I've got tons of anatomy books. I got tons of photo books. I've got tons of reference material, and I pull them out when I need them, and I use them when I need them. And uh, you know, I I I'm painting on this jester um, last night where I was putting that late night in when I was getting in the groove and I almost stopped and print and went and got some reference for satin because I was like this, I couldn't, I didn't know exactly how satin looked like. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I still may do that. But the thing, you know, I have a weird thing about reference personally, because um, I remember 
one time I did a, a painting, this one called Cancer Face. I love Cancer Face. Oh, thank you. And I used a photo of one of my kids making that face and, and then, you know, added the cone head and stuff. And I remember Adam was Adam Jones saw it and he's like, yeah, I really like it when you don't use reference because it looks more like your, your style. And I was like, Hmm. So that kind of fucked me up a little bit (laughs) because, because I looked at it and I was like, yeah, you know what? You can tell the difference between stuff I used reference for and stuff I didn't, you know, um, it just looks, it doesn't look better or worse. It just looks different. It looks a little bit different. Like, uh, hanky panky, hanky panky, the hands I used reference. I took photos of my hand holding the, um, the hanky up. But the rest right. of it, I didn't use reference. And you can kind of see it. It's usually when I'm painting hands, 99% of the time I've used reference because hands are just difficult yes. to draw and paint. So Dude, you, I've you, drawn so many of my own hands. <laughs> it's so hard to do. That was one of the things in college they would make you do is draw your own hand over and over and over. God. Yeah. And it's hard. But, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, at the same time, it's there is something to be said about not using reference as a way to uh, have your own style because you're not looking at something, which is really what I mostly do, but you have to know how it looks in the first place. You know, it's because I know how it looks in the first place. That's why I can do it. Uh, It's in my brain from using, from all the years of observation and using reference material. Well, let's be honest. Everyone is using reference because everyone has a memory. Right, right. And so it's like, you know, I could say, oh, well, I make these wards and I don't reference any other ward makers (laughs) or sculptures that, you know, repurpose materials, you know. But let's be honest. Of course, I'm referencing. I'm referencing all the stuff that I've seen that was cool that looked like that. You know what I mean? Not intentionally, but it's like you are. There's a Rolodex in your mind. And when you're making something that you want to be cool, you're like, well, what have I seen that looked cool together? And like you said, after a while, it becomes knee jerk and you don't have to think about it like that. You just do it. You're just like, oh, Mm -hmm. well, I know what I'm doing today because this looks right. But you have to learn to do that. It doesn't just come naturally. It comes through an effort and a process of intending to learn that yeah and observation for a long time so that's i mean if there's a big takeaway from this episode i think that's probably the best encapsulation of it is that you already are using reference it's just that your reference isn't very good because you're you're relying on your memory which is not good reference Mm -mm. you know unless you have unless you're capturing a flavor if you're trying to actually recreate something that exists or a simile of something that's a a a variant of something that exists which again all the things we're creating be any creature like you said you've seen in any film is just a variant Mm -hmm. of something that we are somehow familiar with yeah you can't really come up with anything that isn't so if that's what you're doing you need to be able to do it in such a manner that people will believe it because otherwise you're they're not and and that's the whole point is for them to lose and themselves in it to have a suspension right. of disbelief then be able to connect with it because they're vulnerable and open to it you only get that if people believe that shit and the only way you can believe it is if you do it well mm-hmm. the only way to do it well is to reference yeah <laughs> or at least learn to do it yeah yeah I, yeah I, I i i think that says it all though because you are that that we are everybody is already using reference it's just sure. that uh, your reference is faulty more often than not you know so I mean, the thing is, I think because of the um, the fantasy aspect of my work uh, that 
people think it's all from from my head and and at this point like i said most of it is from my head but that's because i have this background for years and years and years of studying reference doing life drawing being around life casts you know real human life casts since i was a kid pretty much started working in the business and um and seeing you know real casts of gorilla hands you know faces and bodies and everything so it's you know and being forced to ob- observe it for 20 plus years sure. um but uh well, and also you're also let's just be honest you have a natural talent as well aside from just your environmental yeah, stimuli, I, you are talented in that regard you possess a you know a proclivity towards yeah, be excelling at that and not sure. everybody has a proclivity for excelling at that right and right. so again that means maybe that for some people there's a lot more work involved maybe it's not just mu- as, as much as it is for you where it's osmosis where they're just sponging it up you know without well, but, thinking but about that's, it but that's you, <laughs> you know, know but everybody has a talent like that you know, so and and like I was just talking to some, I don't, I think one of the people on the mentorship levels I was talking about, just because someone is more natural at one thing, that just means that they start the race a little bit ahead of where you're at. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they don't have to work and run the race, and you know, it just means that they're a little bit have a natural proclivity towards it, and you know, everybody has their natural. Pro- proclivities where I'm, where I'm strong in that regard, I'm probably weak in color. Like I look at, um, I've been looking at that RF Pangborn's work lately and, Mm -hmm. um, on Facebook and I definitely want to have him on because he, I just on a technical level, he's doing stuff with cool and warm colors that I'm just now starting to do, Mm -hmm. uh, consciously. Mm-hmm. And it's taken Mm -hmm. me all this time to figure that out. And it's like, I was, I was kind of doing it by feel before. I mean, I knew the thing is, it's like, I know when something looks right, but for the most, especially for the first five, 10 years, I was, how long have I been painting? 15, 18, I don't know. The first five, definitely the first five or so years of uh, painting, I was just winging it and figuring it out. And when it didn't look right, I just kept picking at it and picking at it until I got it to look right. And I didn't always know what, how I got there, but I knew knew that if I worked on it long enough, I could get it to where it looked right. Sure. And, um, and a lot of that has to do with these, you know, cool, warm relationship colors. And he does that in his work a lot. And so I'm really, um, interested in talking to him about his technique and how he learned that. Sure. That just, that doesn't seem like a, for me anyway, it's not a natural, thing. Like I didn't have that naturally at all. I really had to learn that. Well, I mean, to, to piggyback up off your metaphor, the truth is, is that with the track thing and everyone's in this race, everyone has a handicap and everyone has an advantage. And so, you know, that's why the people that are on the inside of the track start farther back and the people that are on the outside of the track start farther, you know, up because they, everyone is compensated for in that way. And so that's just the reality of it. You know, I think that again, it's just knowing what your weaknesses and your strengths are also is part and parcel of actually being able to, you know, bolster yourself where you are weak and take advantage of the areas where you are strong. And that comes with being honest and aware of yourself. And I think that that's a big part of art is really an opening of oneself and a process of becoming more open and honest with yourself, if not with anyone else, at least with yourself. And that opening and that vulnerability that comes from it, I think really can allow for better artwork and better life, better living. Absolutely. That's, I mean, ultimately that's what it's all about. Art really, you know, when you, the better you get, 
the better you know yourself, the better your artwork is, I think. You know, the Absolutely. more of a of a uh more insight you have into yourself and the more honestly you can look at yourself and your work, the the, the better you'll be. Yep. You know, and looking being able to look at yourself honestly without your ego getting in the way is the key to to being better at anything. Anything, yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> So yeah. and I, it's hard. And that's the thing. It's hard. I think in all of these things, we, we must respect the fact that we will face defeats in all of this process. And so if you get you know shot down and you're defeated in a moment and you can't pick yourself up, you know, then you, you've really you've quit the game. But if you can just pick yourself up and keep going on and remember that you're, there's a lot to learn from each of those defeats, you know, eventually you can overcome that process. Yeah. And, and I'll be a slippery slope. It's still something that is an ongoing kind of thing. And just to remember for myself specifically that that pendulum swings, you know, it's like sometimes you feel like you're really on and sometimes you feel yeah. like you're not. And as long as you just remember that this too shall pass, it always does. And yeah. then it comes back around. And everybody who's uh, determined and dedicated can learn this stuff. If you're weak Absolutely. in an area, you can learn it. It's just a matter of application and repetition. And uh, so I guess, the, you know, the bottom line is use more reference. It's yes. not cheating. No, it's actually a good thing. And, um, you know, if you don't have to use it after a certain t period and your artwork still looks great, then that's great, but it doesn't matter. It's whatever, you know, whatever it takes to get your artwork looking great and you feeling good about it is what, what is important. And that's, I, I, you know, I always, it's weird that the relationship I, me and, and I think you and, Everybody who really is dedicated to art, it, it is this kind of religious metaphor to where it's a way of getting outside of your ego. And that is you are to satisfy the art God and, <laughs> you know, and, and you are, are not as important as the art God. You know, I don't see it as like a God, but, I, but when I think about it, it's kind of like that, like. The art is the most important thing. That is the that is the most important thing. It doesn't matter if you get accolades. It doesn't matter if your artwork sells. It doesn't. None of it matters. The, the The only thing, if you're really dedicated to being a great artist, the only thing that matters is that the artwork has been served to the best of your ability. That's what yeah. matters. You know, yep. you're doing the best artwork you can do. Whatever vision you have in your head that you're trying to carry out into the outer world, outside of yourself and purge that, that it is the best it can be as close to whatever it was that was in your head as can be. Yeah. And you've done it. And then you've cracked that nut. And that, and that's, that's why you got to do whatever it takes. If that means you have to do figure studies or life drawing classes or, using reference or whatever it's you know whatever's gonna it's gonna take to to serve the artwork the artwork always comes first and i think this is true with all the best artists out there is the artwork is more important than your promotion or your anything yep. it's the, that has to come first everything comes from that yep. so well, that's um, the only reason that i mean really i think that's the only reason that i like to paint monsters ended up being such a great film is because and i can say that in all clear conscience because it was always about that 
was always about making it the best film it could be mm-hmm. and were and serving it as whatever it was. Right. And it wasn't me. It was outside of me. It was this other thing. And I had to kind of pay homage to it, you know, like come up to the feet of the deity and like lay out offerings and be like, fuck, don't strike me dead. You know, I mean, there was that's part of the process. You If you're serving it, you know, yeah. it's like, well, shit, it's taking me down a path. I didn't necessarily want to go down or was expecting to go down. But, but that's clearly where it's going. So I am. If I'm really if I believe it, yeah. if I if <laughs> I'm really what I said I was, then off I go down that rabbit hole, yeah. you know, and that's just how it is. Yeah. You have to follow it wherever it takes you. Yep. Well, but, that's why you got to be careful which muses you, uh, <laughs> you know, get in, get engaged with. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We're over an hour here. Oh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something else. You're going to pull out yeah. your harmonica. No, I don't know where the <laughs> harmonica went. I think the kids grabbed it again. Um, um, if you want to hear the harmonica solo, you can join. <laughs> it's on one of the pre-rolls a couple episodes back. It's really great. <laughs> that still thinks it, it really was great. Actually, that was one of the most. You know, I wish we had the video of that whole scene. I know. I, Tula must know that this is over because she just came in here and yeah. bowed. She's oh, like, yeah. oh, they must be wrapping up. Yeah. They must be wrapping up. They know the signals. Well, it's been a great episode. I think that uh, this is something, again, that is real practical knowledge that people can benefit from. If you know anybody out there that could benefit from hearing this, you could just slide this episode along to them. That's true. That's true. It's like a nice way of not having to say it while saying it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for listening. And, and again, we've, we're doing the, uh, oh, I know. the I know what I was going to say. The dark art. I like to paint monsters is available for 99 cents rental on iTunes for another when this is going to be too late. No, I think uh, let's look. Let me pull. When we post, we post, this is going to be next Monday. This is next Wednesday. So it's going to be over. So never mind. Well, what's next Wednesday? What day of the next Wednesday? It's into the next. Oh, you're right. It's to the. Yeah. There'll still be like two days left. (laughs) There's still two days left to rent. I like to paint monsters for 99 cents on iTunes. Yeah. So I wanted to mention that. And then we've got the Patreon, uh, patreon.com forward slash dark art society. And now we are doing the podcast one day early on Tuesday for, uh, what, what left? $1 $1 a month. All members. All members. You get your name read on the podcast and you get the episode one day early on Tuesday and it goes to the general public on Wednesday. And Facebook secret cooperative group. Yes. And the cooperative group that's really great. And then if you go to $3, you can get the discord, uh, thing that we're starting, which is really cool. And, uh, yeah, so that's it. There's all kinds of great stuff. Pre-roll for five, you get the mini podcast for ten, and if you are at the fifty dollar level, you get the amazing Dark Art Society shirt, as well as a variety of other cool things. Yes. All right. So thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next Wednesday or Tuesday if you are one of those patrons and Dark Art Society members. All right. Thank you, everybody. Peace. Bye.